Hello and welcome back to another episode of Building Local Power. I am your co-host, Reggie Rucker, and we continue this season, which we are calling How to Get Away with Merger, picking up on the topic of, and I have to put this in quotes, waste. Luke said it in the last episode, one person's trash is another's treasure. And while on the last episode, we talked about how mergers and corporate concentration encourages bigger, dirtier, more harmful landfills and incinerators, this episode is not quite as clear cut. We talk about an acquisition that promotes a much better outcome than food scraps ending up in landfills and incinerators. But as both of our guests make clear, the private sector making big investments in new technologies alone is not the answer. For communities, for justice, we need a holistic approach. To get into the details, and speaking of holistic, I'm going to pass it over to my other half, my co-host, Luke Gannon. What's up, Luke? Oh, thank you, Reggie. Now, with that great introduction, we're going to jump right into the interview. Thank you so much, Brenda, for being here. Brenda Platt is the director of the Composting for Community Initiative, and we are so excited to welcome her back to the show today. Um, So today we are looking at BlackRock, a giant asset management firm acquiring Vanguard Renewables, who operates anaerobic digesters nationwide. This acquisition was announced just last year, so we wanted to invite Brenda onto the show to get an idea of what anaerobic digestion actually is and what this expansion means for composters. So Brenda, I want to start by just defining a couple terms. Can Can you tell us what is anaerobic digestion? Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So like composting, anaerobic digestion relies on microorganisms like bacteria to break down organic material. And that organic material can be animal manure, it can be food scraps, it can be any kind of, you know, uh, wastewater biosolids. And composting happens in the presence of oxygen and anaerobic digestion happens without oxygen. That's why it's called anaerobic. And it does produce biogas, so it's considered a renewable energy, and it takes place in a sealed vessel called a reactor, and it's those reactors that help those microbial communities break down or digest those materials and produce that biogas. One of the other products that comes out of anaerobic digestion is digestate, which is the solid end products of that process. And those are discharged from the digester and digestate needs to be dealt with as well. Brenda, I'm trying to visualize what these anaerobic digesters look like. Can you give me an idea? Well, interestingly enough, like composting, it comes in all sizes. So, you know, when we think of composting, you can have a bin in your backyard or a worm bin in a classroom at a school, at a farm, large-scale industrial, anaerobic digestion is very similar. Um, Maybe not at a home scale, although that we're seeing that um, in places around the world, like Kenya has some home-scale digesters, Um, but it's been around for eons, proliferates in China, India, there's many on-farm digesters handling poultry, manure or litter, uh, cow manure. And it really, uh, what we're seeing is a trend in this country to build large-scale industrial anaerobic digesters 
alone in conjunction with wastewater treatment. And that's when we can get into, is that really the problem? Is scale the problem? Yeah, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know that anaerobic digestion could be at different scales. I always thought of them as these huge, at uh, you know, such a large scale. Um, and then the second part I want to ask you, and this is, we'll, we'll jump into this, into Vanguard Renewables, but before we get there, can you tell us about what is depackaging? What does that mean? Can that happen at different scales? What does it look like? So when you're, let's just take food scraps, food waste from a grocery store. So we've all been to grocery stores. You go into the produce section. Maybe they have to, workers have to come in and remove the tomatoes that are rotting or things that don't look so good. So that's already clean um, produce that a digester or composter would want. It's not packaged, right? But then you have, let's say, a bag of carrots <laughs> that no longer has a use, or even a can of soup. Those are both packaged goods. So if you want to get that organic material that food in there that no longer can be sold or rescued to feed people, um, you have to break it open. And so what a depackager is, is a system that's often, it can be alone, a standalone facility, or it can be installed at the place of a industrial composter or an anaerobic digestion facility. And it's designed to mechanically share apart that material. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's shredding, sometimes it's doing other mechanical techniques to break open the packaging. But the idea at the end of the day is you have organic material that can go into, say, the digester, or you have the rejects, which is the waste packaging. Okay. And then so, you know, we wanted to have you break down these concepts for us because Vanguard Renewables operates in both of these spaces. They both do depackaging work and they have facilities where they do anaerobic digestion. And BlackRock, the asset management and investment firm, saw an opportunity to invest in the anaerobic digestion side of this business to the tune of $700 million. Can you explain to us why this anaerobic digestion operation was the thing that BlackRock really wanted to go after? And what does this mean to the landscape of composting and specifically related to our work, community composting? Yeah, I wish I could get inside their head. I'm sure it's all money, money, money is the short answer. Um, well, let me just say that if you look at the waste industry as a whole and handling food waste and making biogas out of it, it's a big industry and it's dominated by a handful of companies. I think depending on your source, it's like the managing waste is, you know, anywhere between 80 and $90 billion industry and 50%, you know, more than probably half of it is controlled by just three companies. And so there's more companies getting into the space. Let me have a slice of that pie. There's a lot of money there. And when you have, you know, market dominance by a handful of companies, they want to control the collection. They want to control the processing. They want to be vertically, vertically integrated and control every step of the process. And I think that's where my concerns with anaerobic digestion lie, is that we're seeing a disturbing trend towards large-scale industrial facilities these companies 
and haulers that serve them are basically telling grocery stores, hey, you don't now need to separate that rotting tomato in your produce section from your packaged soup cans, commingle it all, we'll send it to a, our big facility, we'll have a depackager, and we'll handle it. Well, where do you think that wasted packaging goes? And we're hearing more about microplastics in soils, in the oceans, everywhere. So I think it was Einstein who said the smart person um, solves a problem, but the genius mm -hmm. avoids it. So we need to rescue food to feed people, which with the advent of depackagers are now collecting all this stuff. So right. less food is being recovered to feed people. Um, it's not staying local. We're seeing uh, depackagers and big anaerobic digesters being built in one state and like a black hole sucking up mm. material in a multi-state area. So Vanguard operates at least six anaerobic digesters in the Northeast. I understand they have 10 new facilities under construction. They plan to develop 100 new projects by 2025. Wow. That's, wow. that's really yeah. astounding. And so BlackRock real, real Assets, which acquired the company, is really helping to drive that plan to commission those 100 new projects. And then so can you sort of, I want to make this clear for the people who are listening right now, is anaerobic digestion as a process something that we need to be concerned about? Or is it, you know, we heard you talk about sort of just like this scale and this concentration, like what's what's the thing that we should really be concerned about when it when it comes to anaerobic digestion and BlackRock's investment in it? Yeah, no, as a technology, I don't think anaerobic digestion is the, is the concern. Um, in fact, digesters can handle often different materials than compost sites. You know, they can handle more liquid materials composters can handle the um what we might call materials high in carbon carbonation materials like yard trimmings you don't want to send your woody material or, or fall leaves to a digester so that would be a waste of that kind of technology um anaerobic digestion tends to be more expensive it's a more expensive technology but it can fit on a smaller footprint so depending if land is an issue, you know, a digester might make sense and those kind of decisions or criteria. But in general, I don't think it's a technology we need to worry about. But what it comes down to is garbage in, garbage out. So if you're, you know, got a composter and you're putting contaminated materials, we wouldn't like that so much right. either. We want clean materials in, we want clean materials and products out. And that digestate, the reason I explained that solid is that is also can be considered a soil amendment. So like compost, it's gonna end up back in the soil. So right. we don't want contaminants like microplastics in compost or in digestate. And then as you're removing um, depackaging, you're also getting a lot of the valuable organic material removed as well. Mm -hmm. So as you're screening contaminants out one way or another, you, it it's just very, um, hard to that you're it's very inefficient in terms of maximizing the recovery of that or, organic material. So while I was reading some articles on this, Brenda, I was sort of wrestling with uh, this question, which is a lot of the articles that I read made it seem like 
and the Vanguard Renewables specifically was one of the only facilities that was that were going to these large grocery stores and taking all their produce that would go to the landfill and taking it away from the landfill and putting it in an anaerobic digester. So I'm like, okay, well, we don't want food in our landfills, but you know, we still have this issue with all of these microplastics ending up in what becomes, you know, the digestate or the soil. You know, how do you level that? Are there composters who are, you know, have the capability and the resources to go to these grocery stores to take food and process it and not have that issue? Or is this, you know, is this efficient in in some way? Our policies, the investment is flowing and privileging large industrial sites that want everything commingled. If you do have packaged food, it's going to systems that maybe meet some standards on the efficiency of their systems for depackaging. There's a wide variety of companies out there and some do a better job than others. And we could be setting some of those standards a little higher um, or working towards higher standards and improving the technology. But this notion that we can't keep things local and keep these assets and materials local is just nonsense. I want to get your insight, Brenda, onto like, why is it BlackRock in particular that you find problematic in its investment in Vanguard Renewables? Well, interestingly enough, I wasn't kind of keyed into BlackRock. It was a farmer in Vermont who co- collects food scraps and compost who was losing market share to these anaerobic digestion companies who's like, yeah, you know, Vanguard's expanding. And Brenda, do you know, like it was bought out by BlackRock real assets. Mm. And I was like, "Hmm, well, I actually care about that. (laughs) Let me look into that. And, you know, that's the real estate and and infrastructure investment arm of of BlackRock, you know, the big company, which you know, I don't know if you know, but then I learned it was nominated for the 2022 Corporate Hall of Shame by our friends at at Corporate Accountability. And, you know, if you look into that award they gave them, you know, they're very clear and kind of laying out some of the issues. It's the firm props up the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $260 billion in investments. Whoa. You know, so they're, you know, basically propelling in our climate catastrophe. It has nearly $6 billion invested in civilian gun manufacturers and retailers, and an astounding $36 billion invested in military weapons companies. So these, these are the kinds of companies that are now, like again, driving big waste. In this case, now, you know, called renewable energy, which it is, but, you know, when we're talking about we want more renewable energy, you know, we want maybe biogas production, we want clean digestate and soil amendments, how, what are the systems that we can see? And when you have a technology like anaerobic digestion that can be farm scale, can be small scale, can be, uh, there's uh, one small scale anaerobic digestion company like has its site next to a tofu manufacturer, you know, producing biogas that then fuels that manufacturing facility like that to me is the epitome of local self-reliance right there. This was very helpful in helping us to understand sort of why despite anaerobic digestion having as a technology, having some potential and like having a place 
why sort of the pattern of it becoming too large and getting these large investments from from a black rock and sort of it's just sucking up all the oxygen in a way um, sort of in the space uh, why that particularly is problematic and why as we hear these conversations um, evolving over time so for our listeners in particular to be aware that um, not to be fooled by just the sh- this shiny new object that promises to deliver everything, right? So this was helpful, a helpful conversation in breaking down sort of the, a little bit, some of the nuances there, but making it uh, very understandable. So thank you so much, Brenda. This is super helpful. And I'll just say to be clear to something, you know, you said, Luke, is we do need to get this material out of landfills and trash incinerators. And so that's that's so important, but how we do it, also counts too. And there's more than one option. It's not like landfills are large scale facilities owned by corporate giants. There's there's some things in between. A big thanks to the wonderful Brenda Platt for giving us insight into depackaging, anaerobic digestion, and BlackRock. In the latter half of today's episode, we are hearing from the co-director of a composting service in New York City. But before we jump in, I'm going to pass it to my co-host, who excels at fostering robust, vibrant, and dynamic work environments, mirroring the vision we hold for neighborhoods and cities across the nation. Over to you, Reggie. Thank you, Luke. You are way too kind, but I truly appreciate it. So folks, I said this last time and I realized I didn't stick to it, but I'm really going to keep this break short. You just heard from Brenda really brilliantly break down why sort of this fancy, shiny, big new thing is not going to solve all of our problems. And that that nuance and that important distinction between what's good for some and what's good for all is what our next guest is going to jump right into. So I want to get you there. But before you do, like I always say, do it now if you'll forget. Pause this episode, find that share button, and send this episode with a friend who really likes to engage in thoughtful conversations about building stronger, more vibrant communities. Building these types of conversations and this type of community together is how we will make change, and we need you to help us get there. Share this episode, and then come right back for the second half. Thank you so much. Every episode this season has taught me that oftentimes it's not what the company is doing, it's at what scale it is doing it. Bigness is the problem. On the second half of the episode, Dior St. Hilaire so beautifully expresses exactly why localizing our economies is a solution. Dior is the co-director of BK Rot, a non-profit, community-supported, bike-powered, fossil-fuel-free waste hauling and composting service in New York City. Today, Dior inspires us as she details her journey learning about food sovereignty and creating decentralized systems. Here's Dior. I'm a Bronx native. I was born and raised in the Bronx, um, lived upstate for a little bit. So I always say that I know the difference and the contrast between the city and the suburbs um, because I have lived both. Um, My family's of Caribbean descent. So my family's from um, St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. And so I came up a lot with Caribbean culture um, in my upbringing. So I would say that I grew up in a very strict household. I mean, it's like the West Indian, so that kind of just 
is what it is. Um, education was really um, important and high on the list of responsibilities, you know, keeping the home, things like that. Um, what I was into growing up was really like, um, I love to ride my bike. I love to draw, actually. I don't draw like I used to, but that was actually something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, and when I hit my teenage years, I started to... Um, I started to write, so I'm also a hip hop MC. So that kind of started in my in my early teens. Um, I would say, you know, life in the city, coming up in the Bronx is, is like many things. You have a good time. There's talent shows, there's violence, you know, um, but there's like also joy like sprinkled in there. And I think that, you know, even just being able to be outside and run around, you know, is different. I don't know that I would feel comfortable with my daughter doing half the stuff that I did when I was younger um, in the city now. Maybe we were just crazy to let our kids roam, but um, I was one of the roamers, even though I was like with my older brother. So I spent a lot of time with him. Um, and yeah, in the suburbs, it was the same. I just was, I just was able to explore instead of exploring in the city, I was exploring, you know, up, up in the woods, which was completely different. I remember the very first night that we finally slept in the house. Um, I like everybody was sleeping in the house and I was up making sure like all the doors and windows were locked. I just knew somebody was going to come and try to murder us. Don't ask me why, because I just was like, it's too dark. It's too quiet. And it's very eerie. And it took me a while to adjust to that lifestyle when you're coming from so much noise. Dior spent a significant amount of her childhood outdoors, but it wasn't until she attended a sleepaway camp at the age of 10 that she was introduced to composting. So my mom's not very um, nature-based, if I can say that. My mom's not really like the outdoors kind of person. Um, you'd be lucky if you can even get her to go glamping. So um, I think that you know, she wanted me to have those skills and have that appreciation. So she sent me to a sleepaway camp. Um, and that's when I was introduced to compost. Every week, each cabin had a different like chore, right? And so our cabin, you know, again, this was like rotating. Everybody had to do it at some point. But we always knew that when we were done eating our food, we had to go to the buckets that were on the counter and that's where we would dump our food, right? We didn't dump them in trash. We dumped them in these buckets. They were white buckets lying across the entire counter after we ate. That's where we put our food, right? It wasn't until it was time for our chores for why I understood why we did that. We had to carry the buckets down to the compost heap and we would dump it, mix it with manure and straw and leave it and go on about our business, right? Now, I can't tell you what my attitude was towards it at the time. Don't really remember. I just know that this was something very significant and my understanding and awareness of what we did with our food waste at a very early age. I think it just is a memory that is so vivid in my imagination um, that I always point to this story when I talk about like my introduction to compost. This was like my hands-on experience with it. It wasn't somebody teaching it to me in school. It was, it was literally getting my hands in it. Dior was raised in an artistic family with her mother being a dancer and her stepfather a musician and a carpenter. Throughout her life, Dior passionately engaged in writing and poetry. However, it was during her college years that she experienced a sudden revelation. Once I got a little bit older, I was in college and I was like, you know, I was like, I got too many soft skills. I was like, I, I need to, if the apocalypse came, how am I going to survive? Like, girl, it's not going to be on spreadsheets and being able to do operations. Like, what can you do with your hands? So, you know, I was like, I'm going to take, you know, more farming courses. So I did agribusiness. I studied agribusiness and uh, took a library course in like my like senior year in undergrad. Um, and then I learned about bugs, which is black urban gardeners and farmers conference. And I went to the conference and I was like, okay, great. 
then I went to the botanical garden. Like, for, like what I always tell people, they're like, how did you get here? I'm like, I followed my curiosity. Like, literally. Every time I had a question about something, I figured out where the resources were, who were the people who knew more about it than me. I asked questions. I immersed myself in the spaces. And life continues to, to move. Dior enrolled in the Grow More Veggies course, completed a master composter program, volunteered with community gardens, and pursued farm apprenticeships. However, throughout all her experiences in these courses and roles, Dior couldn't shake a disconnect between the places she was working for and her own philosophy. I always felt like we were talking about a lot about farm to table, but not table back to farm. And so for me, I felt like there was a really big gap. Um, and that's kind of what I just chose to focus my energy on. So I kind of stepped away from farming a little bit and started focusing a whole lot more on composting. So I was like, well, this is a big disconnect. I was like, how are we so excited to go to farmers markets and get our food and we put it in the trash? I was like, this just don't make no sense to me. Like, just, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. I think part of my, part of my curiosity, but also part of my like grievance was like, I am going to put more of my energy here. And so forth, I began my composting journey again, also just like visiting different sites, learning from different people. In 2018, Dior embarked on her journey by founding her own composting cooperative in the Bronx. Around the same time, she began to discover BK Rot, and through a series of conversations and connections, she pursued the role of co-director alongside Nora Josem. Now she is able to engage, learn, and teach how composting is both restoring the environment and the people. Compost means community, so move as one unit. We all have a part to play. Interdependence is the movement, and we move it because we don't want no stinky smell. Now, what you just heard is just a glimpse of a song all about compost called Compost, a portrait of the New York City composting community that Dior was featured in. Check out the full music video linked in the show notes. It's incredible. All right, back to Dior. And that's what I feel with compost. I feel like it just brings people together in ways that you never could imagine. I had a work day the other day and like it was literally from young child to grandparent as far as like age was concerned. And that was just so special to me to spend time like that in that particular way. And I just I think compost has such the capacity to transform many, many, many different things, even things that you didn't think were connected to compost. I have a very social justice oriented lens when I'm talking about these things, because we're talking about environmental justice communities and waste inequity and, you know, environmental racism. And, and why are we in this situation in the first place? And what do we do in order to, like, talk about what a just transition is and what restitution looks like? So that's like really big for for us at BK Ride and it's really big out here in the Bronx as well because we're talking about EJ communities that have to feel the effects of like inequitable waste practices and obviously when I'm composting that is a, a form of waste management that isn't like I guess traditional because when we think about waste management we're thinking about like landfills and maybe recycling facilities but you know my work my work grounds me the majority of individuals working in composting, whether in hauling or processing, share a profound concern for the well-being of their communities and the planet. Despite their unwavering dedication and efforts, they continue to grapple with the influence of corporate bigness. As Brenda previously mentioned, BlackRock's acquisition of Vanguard Renewables has brought about significant expansion within the anaerobic digestion industry. Dior perceives her own work and Vanguard Renewables as two different worlds. I get really frustrated when people like 
try to compare the two. Um, so one of the things that I'll say is that obviously this is something that we're dealing with in New York City as um, it's now mandatory, right, in order to separate food scraps and to collect them. Um, and what we're seeing is like, okay, is a lot of it is already going to the anaerobic digester. It's not being composted. We've lost a significant amount of clients at BK Rot um, with the city having brought this in, right? Now, my reaction is absolutely going to, again, stay in this justice-focused lens. We need more decentralized systems. All anaerobic digestion does is is aggregate and centralize yet another system. And that's not what we need. And to be quite honest, I think it has its place and its role. And I'm not I'm not anti-AD. Um, but I also believe that we cannot ignore and phase out composters because this feels easier. If we are to, as a society, really grapple with a lot of the challenges that we have, you know, with access to food, you know, with how we deal with food waste, with how we're wasting food. These are all things that come in conversation. I always argue that with composting and community composting, you're always going to get people who learn more about systems in their own habits and connect with them a whole lot more then literally just sending everything to AD. First of all, you need to get people to separate it in the first place. That's number one. <laughs> just because you have a system to deal with it, what's going to actually make people want to do it, want to get involved? Your method of doing it, and this is just my opinion and that I, I stand strong on this, the, the bureaucratic way of addressing this isn't going to get us anywhere. I mean, we already have difficulty with recycling in and of itself. When I say compost means community, I mean it. There are so many people that have even told us that, like, they love coming to the drop-offs because it allows them to talk with other people in their neighborhood, to meet other people that they haven't known before. It allows them that opportunity to be able to, like, even talk about composting and why they love it, why they're doing it. Connecting with neighbors, like, these are things that are important to build a community. You don't know what resources can be shared, right? You don't know what resources you're taking out of a community when you do things like this. So I always push back against Big AD because I'm like, again, it's yet it's yet another system that is meant to make people feel like, oh, there's this great solution. And then it ignores all of the other ones that have literally come from the community that have had to um, build these movements as a form of resistance. And then you come and you just step on it because now you have the resources, you have the funding, you have access to the land, which by the way is stolen. So all of these things are implications where we're trying to bring back an ancestral way of doing something. And I always say compost is really just like the commodification of a thing that is already done, being done. Like compost is just human-assisted decomposition. Like, it's going to happen whether we help it or not. So it's not this big, fancy thing that anybody has invented. And it's actually a very indigenous and ancestral practice to give reverence to the land. And the land gives to you and you give back to the land. That is just a, an understanding that Natives have with their built environment. And so for me, I feel like as we are clawing to get back to that as human beings, as we are like literally like trying to figure out how to to give that back to us, to ourselves and to our children, to our community members. We have larger organizations that, again, it's always just business as usual and they could care less. I, I think it really just needs to be less of a competition and more collaboration anytime I hear about AD like taking over these kinds of systems. Giant corporations are extracting profit from communities, operating from a distant vantage point and lacking a true understanding of the community's actual needs. 
Dior envisions a distinct community-centric future for New York. The biggest dream I have around composting, specific to New York City, even in New York State, my vision is that we create the systems that allow us to process the food scraps locally. I think that we do too much. Like, first of all, we export a lot of our waste outside of New York City anyway as a whole. And that's a problem. I want to see all types of systems being utilized locally, but also serve as educational spots where young folks can come in and want to be scientists, that they get their hands on this stuff. It was me getting my hands on it when I was younger that allowed me to have some kind of like respect for it. And I think that we need to be able to display there should be way more demo spaces, right, of what composting looks like in all of the different types of ways that we can support um, decomposition. And so, yeah, I think for me, what it looks like is, I'm going to say increasing local processing capacity, which that means like for me, every community board, every block has something, right? Something that is um, supporting, handling these food scraps locally and not exporting them outside of the city. I want to see where food is being eaten, cooked, prepared, um, that not that far away, it's being turned into compost or something else, right? And then we have another food distribution network. Like, I just want to see us working better with farmers and to utilize land and space within the state. Yeah, and like bringing the economy back into our neighborhoods because if we're able to create jobs off of this, that means that we're able to increase our local economy as well. The use of landfills and needing to have you know, um, such a disposable culture, but really, yeah, just like having people come back into this really cyclical and circular way of thinking and that that is actually exemplified in, in our, our local environment. Dior recommended one of my all-time favorite reads. The Alchemist. I think that that book was so in- inspirational for me as far as transmuting energy. And that's what composting is for me it's it's literally the transportation of energy you can put words phrases whatever into the compost pile in order to try to inspire something like we are such energetic frequencies as humans and we don't give enough um power to it and i think that compost is a great example of those energies this is god's works really right you got to just call it what it is this is why it's difficult for people to value it as as paid work and paid labor but at the end of the day this work is work that if if it chooses you or you choose it um, we don't do it for the glitz and the glamour. We do it because it's necessary work. We do it because, you know, the next young person is able to look at us and see themselves. And I think if anybody really wants to get into this work, connect with this work, they have to trust the village, um, but they also have to be willing to endure. So The Alchemist was a book that when I read it, I was like, man, I could really turn energy into something else. Um, and that was powerful for me. And that's what I see when I see compostings. Dior is one of those storytellers that I could listen to over and over again and learn something new every time. This is a reminder to myself and all of our listeners to go get your hands in some compost. If you've never held compost before, I recommend finding a local community composter and dipping your hands into the warm matter. You can feel its energy. A huge thanks to Dior St. Hilaire and Brenda Platt for joining us on the show today. Yes, thank you both. And thanks to all of you for listening all the way to the end. 
I assume that means you like this episode, so please share it with even just one person you think will enjoy it too. We have a goal of 10,000 listens for this episode. Help us get there. And if you're not a subscriber to the podcast yet, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you know when every new episode drops. And of course, your donations are essential to help us keep this podcast going and support the research and resources that we make available on our website for free. We truly welcome and appreciate it all. And last, if you have feedback for us or want to share a story about how your community approaches this issue, send us an email to buildinglocalpower at ilsr.org. We'd love to share these on a special mailbag episode one day. We'll keep an eye out. This show is produced by Luke Gannon and me, Reggie Rucker. This podcast is edited by Luke Gannon and Andrew Frank. The music for this season is also composed by Andrew Frank. Thank you so much for listening to Building Local Power. Thank you.